Our sermon for this morning is based on our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Don't get your hopes up. That is a rather deflating statement, isn't it? You can be really excited about something and and really optimistic and maybe even fully convinced about something. And then someone says to you, don't get your hopes up. And immediately, your hopes are deflated, right? You are no longer so optimistic and convinced because they say this statement to you. We've all had this statement said to us, and, and maybe you've said this to other people before, too. And it's because we know what real life is like. We, we know what it's like to be let down and to be discouraged and to have hope and then for it to be dashed. You know, it's, it's in current events right now that uh, there isn't a whole lot uh, for us to have hope in, right? There isn't a whole lot to get our hopes up. Maybe you hear a, a, a headline that seems like good news, but, but what's your first thought? Just wait five minutes. There's going to be one that's gloom and doom. Or a friend shares news with you about a new treatment that might work on this coronavirus or a new stimulus plan for the economy that's being talked about or the curve is flattening, right? And the first thought is, I'm just not going to get my hopes up because look what's going on, right? You're not convinced. 
you know, there's a lot going on right now that isn't getting your hopes up. Unless you're a basketball fan and you grew up in the 80s and, and you checked out the ESPN's Last Dance, uh, you probably got your hopes up about that and you were not disappointed along with me, were you? But for the most part, in the world that we are living in today, everything's letting us down. We're discouraged. And we understand why so quickly we begin to think, what do we have to get our hopes up about? But it's not just current events, is it? It's not just the things going on in our world right now that dash our hopes and leave us feeling discouraged and let down. Because we put hopes in people, don't we? And how often those hopes are let down and we're discouraged. People in our life that that we we think should be there for us and do things for us, and they they aren't, right? Maybe, Maybe it's in a marriage where the spouse that you committed to wasn't really, truly committed to you for life. Or maybe it's a friend or a family member who said they would be there for you when you went through tough times, but turned out to be just a facade. Or maybe it was with a coworker who was supposed to work on that project with you, and, and, but they weren't there, and then in the end took all the credit with your boss. Right? How often don't we get our hopes up in people around us only to be discouraged and let down? And if you're anything like me, maybe you have hopes in yourself, right? high expectations that you place on yourself for, for being a, a, a good spouse, right? that you, you want to be kind and, and a gentle and a loving spouse, but, but instead you're short and impatient. Or maybe it's wanting to be that parent who spends quality time with their children while they're young. And when they get older, you want to still keep in regular contact with them. But, but how often your time gets filled up with other seemingly at the time more important things. Or maybe you want to do such a good job at your work, right? To be faithful, to work hard, to, to, to gain the, the recognition of your employer, right? But, but you set your hopes too high and your expectations too high and you just can't live up to them. Or maybe it's in your relationship with God, right? Where you want to be this faithful Christian, where you want to be reading your Bible regularly and and, and in prayer often, but yet how often you disappoint yourself and you're left with nothing but guilt and regret when, when you have these high expectations in your life, these hopes in yourself, and you're left discouraged and feeling let down in yourself. Or maybe if you're anything like me, you know, you have high hopes for God. Uh, you, you, you place these expectations on God and, and you expect him to live up to them, right? That, that, that things should go just a certain way in, in your life. Or you pray so hard for that loved one to get better, but they only seem to be getting worse. Or, or you raise a child to know Jesus, but when they grow up, they seem to turn their back on him and on their faith. Or maybe it's in the world situation, and you think, God, if you would just do what I thought should be done, right? If you'd, if you'd do what I think would be good and right here in the world, then, then maybe there wouldn't be all this suffering and all this trouble and sadness in our world, 
Right? We, we put these expectations on God. We get our hopes up in him, and then when things don't go the way we think they should, we're discouraged and let down. And you think about your life, friends, and think about how you get your hopes up in people, in yourself, and even in God, and, and things don't go the way you think they should, and it's nothing but letdown and discouragement. And, and it's no wonder why we're quick. Quick with those words, don't get your hopes up. We could become so jaded by all the discouragement and letdown of this life. You know, the two disciples in our gospel lesson for this morning had high hopes too, only to have those hopes dashed, or at least they thought. These disciples are on the road to Emmaus, it says, a village about seven miles from Jerusalem. And, and last week, last Sunday, we were with the disciples behind the locked doors, right? Remember when Jesus came and appeared to them and said, peace be with you. And that took place on Easter Sunday evening. Well, this account here in Luke 24 that we're taking a look at with these disciples on the road to Emmaus actually takes place that very afternoon on that first Sunday, Easter Sunday. And here they are walking to Emmaus, and they're talking, it says, about everything that has happened, about, about all the events that have transpired. And, and Jesus appears there alongside of them, and, and he's kept, he's disguised from them. They don't recognize him. And, and he asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about as you walk along here? And, and one of the men is named, his name is Cleopas. And, and Cleopas says to Jesus, who's disguised from him, he says, are you the only one who doesn't know what's been going on in Jerusalem in these days? And then begins to describe to them. He says, about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers then handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Right, Jesus asks them this question, what, what are you talking about? And, and their response is interesting. They, first, they stop. It says they, they stand still and their faces are downcast, right? They, they can't even go on walking because they are so overcome with, with grief and, and, and discouragement. They're so let down by the news that they're hearing and, and the things that they've seen with their eyes. And their faces show it. They're, they're downcast. They're sad. And their body language shows it. And then their words explain it, don't they? Right? And, and rightly so, they show themselves to be disciples of Jesus Right? They, they say he's a prophet. He spoke the word of God with authority. And he was mighty indeed. He, he did miracles that all the people saw. But then the Jewish leaders got their way and they, they put him to death. They crucified him. We, we saw him die on that cross. Right? We, we, we saw his lifeless body be taken off and off that cross and put into that tomb and that stone rolled in front of it. And it's been three days since. But yet they're skeptical about the news that they've heard. Because they have reports from some of the other disciples, some of the, the women, who say they went to the tomb to embalm his body for burial, and the body wasn't there. 
And there was an angel there who told them that he had risen. Right? And then two of their companions, who seem to be Peter and John, according to John's gospel, right? they go to the tomb after they hear the report of the women, and they too don't find Jesus, dead or alive. These two men walking along this road are trying to figure out what's going on. What's happened? What does all of this mean? And, and they're skeptical about the reports they've heard. And it's obvious that they are just so overcome by grief and sadness and hopelessness because of everything that they've witnessed. And listen again to these words that show what's in their hearts and minds. They say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, to you and me, these words probably don't seem that bad, right? I mean, because that's what he came to do. Wasn't that the purpose of the Messiah, to come and to redeem Israel? But let's get into the mind of a first century Jew. What do they mean when they say this? You see, by this point, the Jews are under tyranny under the Roman government. They are not free. (laughs) They are being controlled by the Romans. And by this time, it had been going on long enough that the Jewish leaders, teachers of the law, were beginning to teach to look for a political Messiah, one who would come to free them, one who would come to restore the kingdom of Israel like it was under the time of King David, one who would bring peace and prosperity and power back to the nation of Israel, free them from the Roman government, who would come and redeem them From this tyranny. Remember back when Jesus fed the 5,000? And the people were so amazed at this miracle. And they were so overjoyed that they wanted to make Jesus their king. Who could provide for all of their daily needs. And you know that even at Jesus' ascension. 40 days after this Easter Sunday. Just as he's about ready to ascend back into heaven. His disciples who are there with him ask him. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? They just don't get it. Right? It has been so ingrained within them that they should expect a political Messiah, one who would be a king and come to establish a reign here on earth, that they totally missed it. It really wasn't until Pentecost that they would finally get what all of this was about and and go out there from then and and teach who this Jesus really was, that he wasn't a political Messiah, but a spiritual Messiah, one who would come to free from the tyranny of sin. And so when you take that into account, what they're looking for, you understand why they lost hope that day. Because this one who was going to free them from the Romans... This one who was going to redeem Israel and again restore them as this superpower in the world and bring back peace and prosperity and power to their nation was dead. Their hopes are dashed, right? And and so you you understand why they're downcast and why they're sad and and why their hopes are crushed because they thought he was the one who was going to improve their life in this world, who was going to make things better for them here in this life. And Jesus' response to them reveals just how off they are. He says, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Their hopes are misguided. 
They're placed in something that's not real, not true. And so, of course, their hopes are dashed and they're left discouraged and let down. And friends, that's our problem too, isn't it? That's exactly what we experience every day. Our hope is in the wrong place. Right, we, we place unrealistic hopes on people around us, don't we? Right, we, we put expectations on people that we often don't have for ourselves. Right? And we expect that people around us are going to do and say what we expect them to. And when they don't, right, when they don't live up to this construct of, of the things they should do and say, we're discouraged. We're let down. We have these unrealistic hopes we put in people around us. And the hopes we place on ourselves are often false hopes, aren't they? It's not a bad thing to have high expectations of yourself. It's not a bad thing at all to want to be a good, faithful spouse, right? And a kind, loving parent, or a faithful, hardworking employee, or or a a Christian who reads their Bible and and prays daily. There's nothing wrong with those things, but... But it's false hope when we begin to think that the ability and the power to do these things rests within ourselves. And it's no wonder when we're left discouraged and let down in ourselves when we fail. (laughs) We're left feeling nothing but guilty because we don't meet these hopes and expectations that we place on ourselves on what a good Christian looks like. And how misguided are our hopes? that we put on God with our limited knowledge, with our inability to see the future, and our knack to forget the past. Right? When we think that we know better than the almighty, all-knowing God on how things should go and what our life should be like and what this world should look like, how misguided are those hopes my friends, are really no different than these men, is it? are we? It's our problem, too. Unrealistic, false, misguided hopes. But notice here that Jesus doesn't leave them wallowing in their grief and their sadness and their hopelessness. Luke writes, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus cares enough about these men, about these followers of his, right, to, to hear what they're saying and, 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 and to hear what they're looking for and, and, and know that it's so misguided and so off to open up the scriptures to them again and tell him, tell them that no, every promise has been fulfilled. You can have real hope. It, this isn't the first time that he's told his disciples, that there's a number of occasions where he tells them what's going to happen, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, but then he's going to rise again. It's mentioned a number of times in the Gospels, and there's probably other times that Jesus told his disciples these things that aren't recorded for us. But here again, even after his resurrection, with patience and love for these disciples, he points to those scriptures concerning himself. Which scriptures do you think he pointed to? 
Which ones do you think he opened them up to that day? Was it maybe Isaiah 53, right? Where Isaiah prophesies about that coming Messiah that he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace would be upon him and by his wounds we would be healed? Or maybe it would be Psalm 16 that says that that Messiah would not be abandoned to the grave, that that Holy One would not see decay. Or maybe it would be the prophet Hosea through whom God said, I will deliver my people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Or maybe the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah, who was inspired to write about the coming Messiah, you, the Messiah, are the hope of Israel. You are its Savior. No doubt it could have been any of these, and maybe many, many more. Because all of those Old Testament scriptures point forward to that coming Messiah. All promises that were fulfilled in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. It's there that you find what it means that he would come to redeem Israel. Then it wasn't tyranny from the Romans that he came to free his people from. That would be way too small. Instead, to come and free them from the tyranny of sin and death and Satan. That this Redeemer, this promised Messiah, wasn't promised just to come and to give them a better life here on this earth. No, that would be too small. But instead, the promise of an eternal life with him forever in heaven. And that this Savior, this Messiah, came to redeem all people, and not to bring them riches here on earth. No, that would be too small. But instead, to bring them the promise of the greater riches, the spiritual riches, the unending riches of peace, of forgiveness, of joy, of hope. Friends, God opened the minds of these believers, these disciples on this road to Emmaus as Jesus opened up the scriptures to show them and give them renewed and real and sure hope. Here on this road, they found the hope that they were longing for. And you see it in how they respond, right? They beg him. Right, as he pretends he's going to go on a little longer, they beg him, no, come and stay with us. Stay with us. It's almost evening. The day is almost over. Come. Right? And then after he breaks the bread and they recognize who he is, their eyes are open to see this is the risen Jesus, and he disappears from their sight, what do they say to each other? How our hearts were burning within us as he opened up those scriptures to us. Right? They burned with hope, with real true and living hope because this is the only one that could give them that hope, what they had hoped for. The reason why he had come, he revealed to them again. Friends, they got their hopes up. <laughs> they got their hopes up in the only one who could give them true hope in this one who is alive and that means every single promise of God is fulfilled. You see, along with these two disciples on that road to Emmaus, our hope is often misguided, our, our hope is often false, but 
But Jesus offers us something far better. Far better than the things that we put our hope in in this life. Jesus offers us something far greater. Things to hope in that are true and are living and that are forever. This past week, there was a man in Ontario, Canada, who lost his job, his livelihood, and he had a family to feed. And so he walked into a grocery store and began, began put, putting fruit and vegetables into his backpack. The man had lost hope. The man had resorted to stealing to try to feed his family. He was so discouraged and so let down, he just didn't know what else to do. Well, he got caught. And that owner of that store confronted him and asked to see what was in his bag and found the fruits and vegetables. But then something absolutely unexpected happened. That owner of that store did not call the police as you would expect him to. Instead, he was overheard saying to that man, we're going to feed you. And that man left that grocery store with bags full of food for his family. And friends, isn't that the way Jesus works, but in a much greater sense? We become so discouraged and so let down. We place our hopes in, in the wrong things here in this life. But Jesus comes along and gives us something much better, something much greater. He comes to bring what our hungry hearts and our thirsty souls desire and need more than absolutely anything. The blessings that only he can bring the promises that only he can make and keep. He comes to bring hope. True and living hope that nothing and no one else in this life can bring to us. And think about what this means for all of our unrealistic hopes and all of our false hopes and all of our misguided hopes that we have in this life. Because the risen Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise of God and because he is your true and living hope, you can stop putting unrealistic hopes on people in your life. You can. Right? And instead, you can love them. And you can forgive them. And you can turn the other cheek to them. Because you already have the complete and total commitment and love and value of your Savior, your risen Savior, Jesus. Because this risen Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise of God, Because he is your true and living hope, you can stop putting false hope upon yourself. You really can. Right? Uh, Putting this idea that your worth and your value are found in what a good, faithful spouse you are. Or that your, your worth and your value are found in what a loving, caring parent you are. Or that it's found in what a good, faithful, hardworking employee you are. Or, or that even, That your worth and your value in God's eyes are found in what a good Christian you are because you read your Bible and, and pray regularly. No. It's here in your risen Savior, Jesus, who is your true and living hope that you find your perfect substitute for all of your failures in this life. For all the times that you have not lived up to your callings. It's here that you find the one who died for all the times that you have let people down and and you've put these false hopes on yourself and and, let yourself down. It's here that all these sins are paid for and it's replaced 
with the true and living hope you have in this substitute and Savior, Jesus. And friends, those misguided hopes you put on God, well, yeah, because Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise of God, because he is your true and living hope, you can stop all those too. Right? If he came to this earth to live for you, and he went to a cross to suffer and die for you, and he rose from that tomb for you, and that he still continues to come to you through word and through sacrament to strengthen you, and if he promises that you have a home in heaven with him, you can be sure that he knows what he's doing right now too for you. You can be assured that in his power, his almighty power, and in his knowledge of all things, and in his love for you, he's going to take care of you. This one who alone can see the future, who knows what's already coming, that future's in his hands, and so are you. This one who promises that you belong to him, and that all things will work for your good, for your eternal good. Because of all this, you can do, with all, do away with all of those misguided hopes that you like to put on God. And because we live in a world that so easily saps us of our hope and, and discourages us and lets us down, Jesus here, we say along with the disciples, stay with us, Jesus. Right? Tell us more. Tell us more about your love for us. Stay with us. Right? Assure us of our forgiveness. Give us peace. Give us joy. Give us hope. Right? And Jesus certainly does. He is more than willing to give us all the blessings that we need to stay with us and so that our hearts can burn within us, just like those disciples. They can burn with the hope, the true and living hope that we have in Jesus, our Savior. So go ahead. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up in this real and true and living hope that is only ours through this Savior, Jesus, who fulfills every promise. Amen.